This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Wong. I talk anything and everything that has to do with AI, ML, and data science. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Joe Brew, who's a epidemiologist and a data scientist who turned entrepreneur. Joe, can you do a quick introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure thing. Great to be here, Tony. My name is Joe Brew. I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Hyfe. And Hyfe is an AI company that is doing for cough what the thermometer did for a fever. So putting a number on the symptom. And at first glance, that not might that might not sound like the most exciting or interesting application of AI, especially in this kind of AI renaissance we're living in. But I think it's really one of the most important and perhaps impactful because it's very simple. It's very medically actionable. And every doctor on earth will tell you that knowing how much and when you cough is important for your health. Yet almost no doctor on earth can tell you how much and when you cough. So that's Hype. We're a cough company and we're using AI to detect, quantify, analyze, predict, and even manage cough. That's really cool. What types of like roles influenced your journey into the entrepreneurship route? Because typically a life science person wouldn't take this type of route. I'm quite interested in you in this journey of yours. Yeah, I, I think it's a fairly coherent journey. I came from academia and public health. I worked at the Florida Department of Health in syndromic surveillance for several years. So this is where we're looking at in increases in syndromes, like let's say influenza-like illness or gastrointestinal distress or neurological things like dizziness at emergency rooms and seeing if in those kind of fuzzy emergency room data trends that could be indicative of an outbreak or of a novel pathogen or some sort of exposure event. Um, I went, I did the academic route, I did a PhD, I was focused on malaria eradication, and then I started, I left academia after finishing my PhD and went into the world of trying to get things done. So I moved to Nepal for a few years, 2018 and 19, to work on tuberculosis case finding. So in, in TB, there's a massive problem of under detection of cases. And what that means is people don't get treatment. They die from tuberculosis, but they also remain infectious and infect their loved ones and their community members. And so you have to go out and try to find TB out in the community, right? And it's a huge problem. And I realized that the tech we were using for some of these huge problems was super antiquated. Meanwhile, for some of the most trivial problems, like keeping your eyes glued to a screen for a half second longer or to increase a click-through rate on an advertisement, they were developing the coolest tech in history, right? AI was being optimized to watch, make you click next on the whatever video feed or something. So it seemed like this huge mismatch. On the one hand, here's a global pandemic like tuberculosis, and people are fighting it with pen and paper. And then on the other hand, there's a non-problem of people watching their phones too little, and people are, are trying to solve that non-problem with AI. And so 
at some point around 2020, it all came together and it said, I need to apply these methods that I've learned through my work in data science to these problems, which I see are that are so big. And that happened to be when COVID hit, which was an inflection point, not just for public health, but also specifically for cough. Suddenly everybody was paying attention to cough for the first time, really. So it was the right time to build something. And it felt like the right way to deal with the COVID epidemic or the COVID pandemic was not putting another PDF on the internet, writing another paper about it, but was doing something. So Hype was really born in that, in that energy and in that moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think you and I have a pretty similar background. I came from academia myself. I have a PhD in computational biophysics and created a startup that put IoT sensors into scientific experiments and went straight to industry after that. And, but I still keep a lot of some tabs with my friends that are in academia and long ago, and this is, this was interesting because it didn't happen until very recently. Like you said, they were really resistant with using AI in the healthcare life science space until very recently around the time that COVID started when everybody was changing their focus from whatever it is that they were doing research in into COVID, trying to develop a COVID vaccine. And so I noticed that all of my academia friends would be forced to switch over to COVID research from whatever it is that they're doing. And then they would instantly get research grants, et cetera. And so I, I find your, that story of yours where you developed this company when COVID hit, that's really awesome in terms of how you're able to translate all of your healthcare life science background into something that's a lot more actionable and a lot more fun in my view. So kudos to that. And I have another question. As you were trying to develop this cough detection tracking and classification system, how did you utilize artificial intelligence to facilitate those types of services? Sure, yeah, so it's AI all the way down or ML at least. One of the things that like I said, things were coming together around COVID. It was the interest in cough. It was my own kind of journey out of academia. It was the fact that we were all kind of locked at home and didn't know what else to do with our time. And it was also the realization that these devices are everywhere. And I'm holding up my, my phone. That is that there are microphones everywhere. And if you think, what do you actually use the microphone for? This amazing sensor, it gets 44,100 samples in the second. It can take vibrations from the air. And, and what do we actually use it for? We use it for voice messages. We don't even make phone calls anymore these days. So it seemed like the underutilization of this thing that was everywhere. And I thought back to when I was living in Nepal and there'd be a goat herder up in the mountains somewhere with didn't even have shoes, but had an old Android phone. If you think about that, it was a huge opportunity, just the fact that the sensor was there, that mics were there, the hardware was already distributed. And then the question is, how do you get the input from that? How do you get the sound, the audio stream and make something meaningful out of it? I'm a huge fan of low hanging fruit, right? And at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people reached up to the top of the tree to pick the high hanging fruit. They said, I'm going to take the sound of a cough from somebody with COVID. I'm going to take the sound of a cough from somebody without COVID. And I'm going to train a classifier to differentiate between those two things so that we can diagnose COVID based on the sound of cough. There's some biological plausibility to this, but it's a very hard problem to chew off. 
and meanwhile, what I saw was the low-hanging fruit of what if we just detect and quantify the cost? What if you just count the cough? We knew as early as January 2020 that people with COVID coughed. So there was no need to go up to that next level and start diagnosing based on cough. What we needed to know is how much and when people were coughing and where. So as to build a spatial temporal distribution of disease spread. This was in the era before diagnostic tests, rapid antigen tests and such. And so how do you take an audio input and identify events? There's kind of a playbook from, for this. A lot of it comes from the signal processing. It's not even AI. But in order to distinguish between explosive pop-like sounds, which were cough and not cough, we chose to use neural networks as everybody's using these days. We used CNNs, convolutional neural networks. We would convert sound, the sound signal into a MEL spectrogram where you get the time and frequency domain. And so it's a picture of a snippet of sound. And then with that snippet, with that picture, you teach a model to, to distinguish between cough and not cough the same way you would distinguish between male and female or red and blue. And, and with enough examples, the models learn really well. Those AUCs of 0 0.99999, they can distinguish between a cough and a non-cough because like I said, it's low hanging fruit. It's not rocket science. It's easy enough for the human ear. Therefore, a, a classifier can learn it as well. So the, the Hype technology is a combination of signal processing, which reduces that input to very short explosive snippets, and then a neural net classifier, which is able to classify each of those snippets into cough versus not cough. And then what we spend a lot of the last year or so doing is not working on our accuracy, which we think we've maxed out, but rather working on how light and portable that model is so that it can run on the edge so that you don't have to send your audio to servers, for example, and so that it can be embedded into to edge devices like wearables and watches and stuff. Yeah, so how far are you along with developing like a lightweight neural network system that can go on, say, like a phone or something a lot tinier than a No, phone? we're there. In fact, yeah, you're our, there. Yeah, oh, cool. I mean, it, I'm glad to say it because we haven't, it's relatively recent. Just this year, we were able to finally get accuracy high enough. We consider high enough to be a sensitivity of greater than 80% in real world conditions and less than one false positive per hour. And we finally reached that point on embedded the Hype SDK, which can be integrated into to a phone is easy. You actually have a fairly big CPU on a phone, but you, even devices as small as oh, the watch on your wrist and it can run in real time and it can run, and this is really important nowadays, it can run without sending audio anywhere else. So if you're concerned about privacy, or if it's just a use case that can't send things over the internet, you can still count cough. And that's really important for our kind of global health ambitions to make sure that cough tracking doesn't just benefit those in the developed world, but also in developing countries. So what kind of phones does it work on? Like Android, iPhone, um, or, and additionally, does it only work on the newer phones that have more powerful processors or does it, or are you thinking this can work on a much older, say old Android hand-me-down phones? Yeah, uh, we, it, it, the short answer is it works on just about every smartphone. We made a design choice very early on in, in 2020 to design for everything. And this had a lot of implications and it meant a lot of work because had we been had we taken the easy route, which a lot of AI companies do, we would have just picked one device. We probably would have picked the iPhone, right? A good microphone, really stable ecosystem. You don't have to play a lot of whack-a-mole with firmware. 
But instead we went everywhere. And the reason why is because we thought there's a lot of value in cough tracking at a population level. So to get the coughs from every, imagine if you could have been tracking cough rates over time and space in Wuhan, China in late 2019, you would have seen the wave of the pandemic picking up far before emergency rooms and hospitals started to report on it. And so we wanted to make sure that it could go everywhere. And importantly, when you play on all sorts of different devices, it forces you to adapt to different inputs. The sound signal from an iPhone is not the same as a five-year-old Android device. So it, in that sense, our models are more generalizable because they've been trained on such a great diversity of data. And with clever techniques and clever signal processing techniques, you can get neural nets to be fairly small. And the big limiter on, on running on the edge is not so much the size of the model, but rather how often you invoke that model. So what we've done in order to be able to deploy on the edge is not so much work. We have shrunk the models to fairly small size, but rather than just working on that, we've also worked really hard on the signal processing, this kind of front layer to make sure that we don't invoke the model every second. We only call it when there's an explosive sound that has the potential to be a cough which is fairly rare. And we don't actually need ML to weed out 99% of sounds to say that's definitely not a cough just based on the spectral components. So your system does continuous monitoring still, right? Even though it's not invoking the model every single time? Correct. Yeah, we have what we call it the peak detector. The peak detector is this layer that sits, that takes the initial raw input of audio. And if it's just normal speech or if it's silence or if it's the wind blowing through the open window, you don't need ML to tell you that's not a cough, right? It's very simple, just almost energy, right? Decibels in the waveform. And that you can continuously monitor that. And it's only when there's that pop, the clap, the door slam, the slamming dish or the cough or the sneeze that it says, hey, that's a loud-ish explosive-like noise that might be a cough. And then you only send that snippet to the neural net. And therefore you reduce a lot of your compute budget just by being clever about what you actually classify. So in, in your perspective, how do you think edge AI, which is used in healthcare, can accomplish tasks that doctors can't? What's the differentiating factor between your edge device product that you made versus what a doctor can do? Yeah, I think they're optimized for two different things, right? So we are not at all playing in the space of, let's say, language models that are trying to give patients advice. And we're not at all playing with messy inputs from patients. We do very little crossing of signals. We do a little bit with heart rate and actigraphy and chest x-rays, but that's exploratory. But we do one thing that a doctor will never do, which is we go home with the patient and we go in the bathroom with the patient, in the bedroom with the patient, and in the shower with the patient. And we go to sleep with the patient and we go to work with the patient the next day. And I think this is the kind of paradigm shift uh, with longitudinal monitoring people already take a microphone with them everywhere they go. Apart from the one I'm talking into right now, I have one sitting here on my desk and I've got another one on my wrist. And you don't have to ask me to do that, right? The, the medical device is already there. It's already distributed and people are happy to take it with them everywhere they go. In fact, try to tell them not to take it with them and they'll get mad at you. And the question is, can you leverage that to generate a, a signal on an interesting, actionable, relevant biomarker like cough 
right? And build up a data set that nobody's ever seen before. It's, it seems strange to say it, but up until a couple of years ago, nobody had ever actually monitored cough longitudinally on anybody. Nobody had ever looked at cough frequency over the course of days because it was simply impossible to do. And so I don't think about, at least the AI that we're building, I don't think of it as substitutive or replacing a doctor. I think it's doing something that a doctor would never do. And when we show doctors, as pulmonologists, infectious disease doctors, those who are managing COPD or CHF or chronic cough, when we show them the signal, say, this is your patient, this is their cough frequency over hours and days and months, they love it because they know what to do with symptoms data. They're excited to have the data in hand. But you need AI in order to generate that data in the first place, in order to get those accurate cough counts in the first place. So th this new type of field, this acoustic AI field, I'm seeing is when you combine it with continuous monitoring, is going to impact the healthcare quite a bit right now and then going forward in the future just because of illness. Can you speak of some cool applications that can go beyond yeah, sure. with acoustic AI and this and continuous monitoring? Yeah, I think the big paradigm shift is not around the accuracy of the methods. It's around the fact that the methods can be deployed prior to the patient knowing that they need that method. And I'll say that in a more clear way. Think of an antigen test, right? 90% sensitive, 95% specific. The thing is, the big shortcoming of the antigen test is not that it's not accurate enough. The problem is that people don't take the antigen test frequently enough, meaning that a lot of people, for example, have COVID-19 and they don't know it because they're not taking the test every single day. And nobody in their right mind would recommend taking a test every day because it would be a huge waste of resources, right? Now, once you have this paradigm shift and you go into continuous monitoring, including monitoring of the healthy, you're able to detect changes in symptomology prior to that person even being aware of it. And we've seen this in some of our studies. For example, I like to give the example of a young woman in a population study we did in Northern Spain. On February 8th, she was diagnosed with COVID-19. And upon diagnosis, she professed to be asymptomatic. She's, I don't have symptoms. But because she was part of a study we were running, we looked at her cough counts and her nightly cough counts increased from zero per night to two per night to eight to 12 to 20 in the days prior to her diagnosis. So she was not asymptomatic. She was simply symptoms ignorant. And, and that was a COVID-19, you know, an acute viral infection, but this most likely happens in all sorts of diseases. Think of the onset of lung cancer, which can be slow and over the course of many months. By the time you realize you need to go to your doctor to get tested for lung cancer, your cancer is probably fairly well developed. But if you were continuously monitoring, you might be able to notice, or the AI itself could notice, a characteristic shift in symptoms prior to you being aware. Because, hey, we're busy. We're thinking about other things. And that could drive people to right-timed, appropriate diagnostic tests earlier and therefore people getting people treatment earlier and save lives. So the specific use cases where I'm really excited about, that I'm really excited about are, for example, asthma. It's known that asthma attack onset correlates with cough. And so somebody's coughing and you're able to monitor that. And maybe you're able to intervene a little bit earlier. COPD exacerbations, 
hugely costly. People end up in the emergency room unnecessarily. Guess what? COPD patients cough increasingly before exacerbations. Congestive heart failure, decompensation. The classic way to monitor this is through your body weight. You stand on a scale to see if you're retaining water. But it turns out when you're retaining water, you also retain water in the lungs and that causes cough. And unlike having to stand on a scale, which involves the patient having to do something, cough monitoring can be totally passive. The patient can forget to monitor that day and still the system can detect the, the uptick in coughs. And then there's even like inpatient monitoring. There was one study where doctors looked at cough frequencies among those with COVID-19. This is a published paper. And they found that prior to a negative event, so prior to intubation or death, patients' cough frequency dropped meaning that cough signal, the amount of they were coughing was a leading indicator of this negative event. And imagine that this is a somewhat preliminary finding, but, but imagine a future wherein you're tracking this in the hospital. And as you see a patient's cough frequency drop, you say, hey, something's going wrong. Their system is failing. Let's pump them up with some oxygen and maybe some steroids. Who knows? Maybe that's the future we're headed towards. But I think all of it comes from this paradigm shift of no longer taking spot samples, but instead monitoring continuously. And this is already happening in glucose. It's happening in heart rate. It's happening in wellness space, like with SEP counting. And I think the next space it's happening in is cough. So there seems to be an information gap when it comes to understanding one of the most common medical symptoms, which is like chronic cough. How do you think like AI is going to help bridge this gap? Yeah, chronic cough is the condition wherein you don't have an underlying condition necessarily causing the cough. The cough itself is the disease, right? And there are many people, as many as 10% of American adults have chronic cough. And it's really debilitating. I've heard stories of people who can't go to their kids' piano recital. They can't go to a restaurant. They cough so much that they vomit. Urinary incontinence is a big issue, especially among females with chronic cough. So it's a debilitating issue. And part of it is a vicious cycle wherein you cough because you have a hypersensitivity, the cough irritates your throat. The irritation causes you to be more sensitive to cough and, and you just cough and cough. It's, it's, it's hard to break that cycle. But our approach is to pair kind of battle-tested therapeutic techniques, these reminders and these methods you can do to reduce the urge to cough, but we time them so that they, you're hit with them as soon as your cough frequency is going up right? Right timing and right dosing the quote unquote medicine. In this case, it's a therapeutic technique. Uh, so as to reduce that chronic cough and break that vicious cycle. Now, another like area where I think- Optimizing the, you're, you're talking about optimizing the detection period for it. So you don't get it at the very end and you don't get it before you just get when it's about to peak. Yeah. So when you are having a cough bout, which is precisely when you need to resist the urge to cough, if you have refractory chronic cough, that's when you would get, say, like a notification from your phone saying, hey, try these three things, which can help you reduce your urge to cough. Have a sip of water, bite your tongue with your mouth closed and swallow, or these very simple methods that just make people aware of that cough and, and they can reduce it. But another area where AI is, offers a lot of promise for those with chronic cough is just the identification of the condition in the first place. Lots of people have chronic cough and have no idea because it's based, the definition of chronic cough is based on a symptom which nobody has been able to measure. So it's like saying high fever, but if you measure just by putting your hand on the forehead, you're not gonna know who has high fever and who doesn't. So there's a ton of people who could benefit from chronic cough 
therapy, anti-tussive therapy, both pharmaceutical and cognitive, if they were aware that they had the condition in the first place, but they might not be aware. And in one, one simple, very straightforward application of cough counting technology is the ability to segment into buckets, those with low cough, those with medium cough, those with high cough. Cool. So I heard you say your, your approach for the chronic cough detection, the classification, what about the chronic cough tracking? I didn't hear how you were able to track the chronic cough. Yes, our laser focus is on tracking over time and allowing users to see and explore their own data and then share that data with their practitioner. So that, that's what we consider tracking is essentially remote patient monitoring. That said, once you are tracking coughs over time, because a chronic cougher might cough 500, 600, 800 times per day, you end up accumulating a lot of data that you can build secondary classifiers to do more interesting things with, right? So cough does have an acoustic signature and different kinds of conditions and different kinds of events might be correlated with different kinds of acoustic signatures. So you could imagine that there will be in the future models that are accurate enough to say, hey, based on the acoustic characteristics of Tony's cough, this is not chronic cough, this is an acute viral infection. Or based on the acoustic characteristics of Tony's cough, he would be responsive to treatment X, but not treatment Y. So part of our focus now is not only on, on tracking over time, but also processing that audio data in a way that can allow patients to have better, more productive, more safe interactions with the healthcare system, and also drive them towards those diagnostic services that might detect disease earlier. How do you pass the information off to a healthcare provider? Do you have an agreement with a large consortium of them, or do you have it in your privacy agreement on the product? How does that work? Yeah, good, great question. There, there's a couple of use cases. First, there are a lot of researchers that use HIFE. And in research use cases, IR, IRB approved human study, human subject research, of course, there's a consent form. And each research study is its own is its own case, but oftentimes patients in these studies are consenting to have their data used in one way or another. For example, retaining audio snippets or not. For general, for the users of our phone apps, we retain no audio and we don't pass that data off to anybody. So in that case, it's only for that user and the user can choose to show that data to a practitioner or not at their own discretion. And then we have some business to business offerings, for example, for remote patient monitoring, where a doctor or a healthcare provider could look into a dashboard and imagine they're monitoring a cohort of patients, say a hundred COPD patients, they would be able to see each patient's longitudinal cough patterns over time, be able to play back those sounds, be able to get classification information on those sounds, wet, dry, vocalized, not vocalized, and get an alert system that's showing, hey, this person's cough is no longer within the normal baseline or range for that person. It's an anomalous departure from baseline and therefore could be indicative of, say, an exacerbation. That's cool. Some of the bigger companies like Google or even phone brand or phone brands like the Pixel 7, they've recently taken an interest in AI for tracking cough. What's your thought on big tech companies starting to focus in on this area? For instance, I think the Pixel 7 has a snoring and cough detection. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's validation that this is a really important problem to be solved. 
and that not quantifying a symptom as prevalent as cough is a mistake. So first, welcome aboard, and I'm glad they're taking note of cough. We've played a little bit with the cough detection features. Apple, the iPhone also has a hidden and developer options kind of cough tracking feature. And it works very well in our kind of anecdotal experience in very clean acoustic environments. So I think that the use case they're envisioning is nighttime cough tracking. And it, it doesn't work as well once you get out into the real world. And we're much more focused on the harder problem of 24 hours a day cough tracking because unfortunately those eight hours of night are not representative of how someone coughs the rest of the day. And it's really important if you want a full picture of someone's coughing to track 24 hours a day. We've also found that those bigger companies that have dabbled into cough counting, they often detect coughing. And so they'll segment it and say, hey, some coughing occurred at this time and they're hesitant to count. And I think that's because it's actually fairly hard to train classifiers that are good at counting events, especially events that can happen in really rapid succession and to segment between those events. And so we've done, we've gone a step further. We've gone a step further in the time monitored, but also in the actual event counting. So we can tell you when somebody goes <laughs> exactly how many explosive phases of each cough there was, and we're able to segment each of those out. And I haven't seen the big tech companies do that yet. And then yes. one more comment yeah. on the, so, sorry, one more comment on the big tech companies is I think that their ability to harvest massive amounts of data is great. In the moment they want to, they, they certainly can. But to get medical grade metadata to match with those coughs, to, so to know that this cough is from a 25-year-old COVID positive person, or this cough is from a 46-year-old the day before a COPD exacerbation, to get that, they have to go through the same kind of slow hoops that anybody else has to jump through, right? Ethical committees, institutional review boards, conformed consent, patient recruitment. And so in, in that sense, we're a few years ahead of them because we've been doing that for several years. And, and I, th I think that if they take cough seriously, which I hope they do, I think that they'll likely want to come knocking on our doors and talk about how we can use our data productively together. Yeah, absolutely. I think going back to what you said about the cough detection, that's different from the experiences that you have when you're awake versus when you're asleep and or for the AI to be able to track it at night, everything's completely silent. It's dark. There's not a lot of movement. And so when you cough, it's very easy for an AI system to be able to detect that as opposed to if you're awake and active and moving around and there's background noise, those are the real world type of situations where there's a lot of just noise in the background that, that the AI has to sift through in order to be able to track that cough with a higher degree of accuracy. Do you, do you think that's the big dividing factor is the fact that big tech is just developing it in a more controlled setting where it's completely isolated in terms of going to sleep, there's not a lot of background noise, and then your solution is more tuned for active people that are out in the world that can detect the, these cough these cough cycles a lot more accurately. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think that I, I understand why they would start with nighttime. It's definitely the clean acoustic environment that's going to allow for easy detection. You're not going to have a lot of false positives, for example. But I think for the medical use case of cough, it's really important to get 24 hours a day. I'll give you an example. A lot of chronic refractory cough, it's a neurological condition. It's a hypersensitivity, and it's this urge to cough. 
And people with chronic refractory cough who have a neurological cause, they actually don't cough when they sleep, right? And so you can do it every night for your whole life and you would see zero coughing. Meanwhile, there are other people who might, for example, if their cough is caused by GERD or acid reflux, perhaps when they lay down, the, they get more irritation in their throat, which causes more cough. So they might have an unrepresentative sample of their cough frequency based on only doing horizontal tracking, right? Other people have triggers. Cold air is a well-known trigger for some folks. Rapid respiration is another trigger for folks. There's allergies. And when you just do night, you've taken away a lot of these triggers. So you're getting really a partial and non-representative sample of what a person's true cough behavior is. And so you, you have to go in the real world if you really want to collect high-quality cough data. Think of it as like your heart rate, right? You can measure heart rate at night and it gives you some signal. In fact, your resting heart rate is an important indicator of health and wellness. But if you, there's so much more if you measure heart rate during the day, right? Because that's where the real variances happen and that's where the peaks and the valleys are. And so we think that it's worth uh, going out into the real world, training on the real world, including all these things that could provoke false positives like dog barks and dishes and door slams and building models that are able to handle that real world data. Our kind of philosophy is if the human ear can do it, which it can, you can tell if I'm coughing or if I'm talking. And there's no reason why a neural net can't do it. And we found that even small neural nets can do it fairly well. Uh, so how important do you believe these AI powered symptom trackers are gonna be in the future of healthcare? How big of a market, how big of a following is that gonna be? Or is it just a very niche solution? I think it's going to be very big. And the reason why I think it's going to be big is because currently most symptom trackers are essentially diaries and they involve patient input and patients are notoriously incorrect. They're late to the game. So you often don't start tracking a symptom until you've had it for a while and they're non-compliant. So they forget to keep doing it. Whereas an objective automated unobtrusive symptom tractor, like a cough counter, means that you can generate continuously without any burden on the patient, real good baseline data. So when you do enter a state of illness, you can compare it objectively to the state of wellness. I think that it's hugely valuable to patients. And I think it's really valuable to health systems that are trying to prevent costly and deadly events, right? COPD exacerbations or CHF decompensation or the spread of infectious disease. So I think that there's no reason not to believe that symptoms trackers in, in, in whatever form that ultimately takes are going to be everywhere. It's most likely the, I think the form factor will most likely be hardware that we already are using for other stuff, like the, our smartphones and our smart watches. And then software that's light, privacy preserving, fast and real time. And that's what Hype is working to build. Uh, do you see any like big challenges coming to integrate AI in healthcare? I, I haven't tapped into trying to implement this type of technology before in, in healthcare. So really interested in seeing, especially in the terms of acceptance from like healthcare providers or patients, like what your perspective is. Yeah, I think there, there are a number of challenges. I think acceptance is a huge challenge for AI in general in healthcare, not a huge challenge for us because we're not doing kind of black box voodoo hocus pocus AI, right? Our, ours is very simple and practitioners immediately understand the notion of cough detection and quantification and the utility of it. I think an, an important one is regulatory. So 
regulatory frameworks are complex, somewhat burdensome, ultimately extremely useful for protecting and ensuring patient safety, but they're not really ready for AI. And I think regulatory bodies are sprinting to catch up, trying to figure out how they're going to adapt to new quote unquote medical devices that are not simple ins and outs, right? That, that are moving, improving, complex, indecipherable models. And then I think a third challenge is privacy. And I think it's really important that those of us building AI in medicine, figure out how to strike the right balance between our hunger for data and a respect for patients and users who don't necessarily always want to share their data and are right to not want to share their data. We feel that we've struck that balance. So we build products and ship products that essentially don't allow us to see any of the data that, that it's, that's being generated. But at the same time, we're able to continue to harvest and use data and train based on data through our research trials and through consenting volunteer users who say, yeah, please use my data to make your models better. So we like the opt-in model for share my data rather than the opt-out model. And I think AI companies in healthcare would do well to do the same if they want to keep people on their side. Cool. Do you want to share some really awesome milestones Hive AI has achieved so far and any cool upcoming developments you're excited about? Yeah, I think the most important milestone we've achieved recently is getting our cough detection system fully on device. And so if you're in outside of the United States, that's cough pro in the U S it's cough tracker, and you can run that it's on your device and it's really fun. What I'm really excited about right now is integrating into other devices. Right. And I say that because getting on device means that now we can run everywhere. And I think ultimately cough tracking is not going to scale because people are going to go out and buy separate cough counting devices. But rather that cough tracking will be in the hardware that they already own and already take with them. So I'm excited about cough tracking, particularly of the ill, but also of the well, because all of us, no matter how well we are, get ill at times. And oftentimes that illness is respiratory in nature. And I think the sooner we get more people cough tracking, the better baselines we'll have both at a population level, as well as for individual patients, which will help inform care and management of disease when we do get ill. Cool. And last question, what advices would you give to someone interested in combining AI with healthcare? For instance, example would be a practitioner that's in the healthcare life science space that has a huge interest in AI and wants to bring that in to their team. You got any cool tips, tricks that you learned along the way? Yeah, I would say start with the problems that patients are having or that practitioners are having and don't start with, Hey, here's a problem I can solve because it fits AI very well. Right. I think there's been so many cases, just go through any preprint server or any publication and you'll see out there how many different AI models have been developed to solve so many problems. Yet none of those models trickle down to the real world. They're just PDFs on the internet because. Ultimately, if it's not useful and actionable and usable for a patient or their practitioner, it's not going to make an impact. So if you're in it for more than just the kind of uh, academic game and you really do want to make an impact on people's lives, start with solving a problem that, that patients would admit is a problem or that practitioners would say is a problem. And don't just start with the hardest problem for the virtue of quote unquote solving the hard problem. Joe, if I needed to 
get in touch with you? What's the easiest way? You can find me at Joe at hyphs.ai. I'm on Twitter at Joe the Brew. Um, Hyphs.ai is also the company website. And if you wanted to get phone apps, you could just look up Cough Tracker or Cough Pro in Google Play or the Apple App Store. Awesome. Thanks, Joe, for hopping on the show. I learned a lot about cough detection. And it's always nice to talk to somebody that, that came from the healthcare life science space. It's been a while. It was great, Tony. It was a really fun interview. It's fun talking with you. Awesome. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can contact me at tonyphoang.com for more information on AI, ML, and data science.